Sabrina. How's it going, Corinne? It's going pretty good. <laughs> Welcome everyone to Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. Um, this is a podcast where we talk about ghosts and mm-hmm. uh we believe in ghosts because we have experienced ghosts and not everyone has our experiences and not everyone believes in ghosts, but we do, so we're gonna talk about them as if they're real. Mm-hmm. And it's still fun to listen to, even if you are a skeptic. Yeah. And secretly, I have a theory that skeptics actually do believe, and they might be the biggest believers I out believe there. That too. But they're scared. Yeah. Well, because my other thing, not to just go into a whole th- thing on skeptics. Rant, go. I'm gonna. <laughs> oh, here I go. Let it out. <laughs> but. What doesn't make sense to me about skeptics is how involved they are in the conversation when they supposedly don't believe. If you don't believe, why do you care so much? And why are you spending all this time and effort reading these articles and listening to an entire podcast episode? And then as soon as they get the chills, they just fingers ablaze and go into the comments. Me, me, me. Me, me, me. (laughs) What does that translate to? (laughs) It's like Charlie Brown. Anyway. That's my thought on skeptics. Yeah. And I'm just, sure all the skeptics are going to come out and yell at me now. Whatever. Who cares? You know what? I, I just thought it was important to tell everyone that we we believe in ghosts and it doesn't matter if other people don't. It's like We do. We do. And you know what? Maybe we wouldn't believe if we didn't have so many experiences. Yes. I totally agree with that. I always wonder, too, because I'm like, okay, well, both of us from childhood have experienced plenty of paranormal things and as a result i'm also very open to the ideas of aliens and and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and other creatures out there that we don't know because realistically we haven't searched a lot of the land and most of the ocean there can totally be things out there they just found like 11 or 12 planets out there that they believe are inhabitable so like what's to say that there are other organisms on other planets i feel like we're going way into <laughs> but we have to you know i know we're like this is episode 12 we're due <laughs> for this this is who we really <laughs> We've are been holding it in being like just focus on ghosts just focus on ghosts but yeah like there are probably organisms organisms and things that we physically cannot see with our human eye right i also you know what so i think about badly wish i was an astronaut so i can go out to space and no haven't you seen all those movies which ones gravity mars you're gonna be left or you're gonna go it's gonna crash it's i would i would love to die in space what i would no. love it no i'm gonna die by legal injection i'm gonna sign my life away hey you can go to canada now they have a legal e- euthanasia Yep, as soon as I hit 92. <laughs> That's not funny to joke about, but <laughs> no, like, not. you know, it's hard getting old. Like, it, we I see think it I'm with it, our grandparents. And it, yeah, it is really hard. It's sad. I mean, yeah, my grandma's getting old and it's, yeah, it's really sad to see, especially the loss of memories, I think the hardest. So many good books and movies about that sort of stuff, too. Uh, the Notebook. Oh, we anyway. have a lot of business to do. Yes, wait, can I... Can I derail us for one more sure, mo- sure, sure. moment? Um, dear David, what the fuck? That was on my list of things to talk about. I know. Oh, my God. I got a text from Marissa late at night, and she said, have you seen the new Dear David? And then she goes, wait, actually, don't look until the morning. So I woke up. It was 5.45 a.m., and then I was like, okay, I still can't look until I'm, like, outside in my car. I can't and there's, be like, in light my house. outside. 
Yes. So I had to wait until the sunlight came up and I was safe in my car. <sighs> what do you think of it? Okay. I'm mixed. And me too. I was thinking about this on my car ride home and like it doesn't affect me as much as it did in the beginning. And I think a, a part of that might be because it's existed for so long and I've thought about it so much and I've never seen him. So I feel like I'm safe. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like no one's whispering my name in the middle of the night anymore. Um, or I'm not imagining anymore. that. <laughs> well, I imagined it, I think. But Oh, I was like, what? <laughs> I told you that story. Yeah, you did. Yeah, but um, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to tell. We've had a lot of, I feel like, uh, chains of that discussion on our Facebook page as well, and people are mixed with it. And like, right? I want to believe it because it's such a good story. Well, because in the beginning, it was very convincing, and he, it, it was just a bunch of stuff, and he was like, "This is what's happening." There's little videos of things falling, his cats acting bizarre, right? Stuff like that, and just his dreams and whatnot. And I trust cats more than any human, so. But, uh, so, basically, to give people a little bit of backstory, dear David, if you don't know, this man named Adam Ellis, he works for the BuzzFeed office in New York, but he doesn't write stories, so this, everyone's kind of like, what's your prerogative with this? Is this publicity or not? But he doesn't really post about dear David that often. It's every few weeks he'll give an update. But basically, this man, Adam, he is being haunted by a spirit named dear david Mm -hmm. that has been visiting him in dreams and kind of almost tormenting him stuff has been happening in his apartment a lot of paranormal type stuff so he's been documenting it and writing a bit about it on twitter and a bunch of different paranormal investigative groups and shows have contacted him and wanted to go investigate and he's like no i don't really want to right and his his reasoning yeah his reasoning is that he doesn't want to feed into it make it angry or he doesn't – it's hard enough to just even talk about paranormal stuff. And if he's on a show it or paranormal investigators go, it opens him up to that much more criticism beyond just Twitter. Right, right, right. It's like him showing his face and talking about it. So mm-hmm. the recent update this past week, he had a dream and dear David visited him again in the dream. But this time, instead of being completely paralyzed and in complete sleep paralysis – he was able to move his hand. So in his dream, he grabbed his phone from the side of his nightstand and started taking pictures as dear David slowly moved from the couch, limping over to the side of the bed and this time getting on top of the bed and looking at him until he finally woke up and it was daylight. Mm-hmm. And Adam said he went about his day, la, 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 was like, oh, that sucks. I had another dream about him. This is really scary. I hadn't dreamt about him in a while. Because his friend he saged goes, his apartment. Yes, his friend. People have been getting involved. He's been traveling yeah. a lot. He's been trying to maybe avoid his apartment, it seems. Um, And then something happened where he went into the photos on his phone, and he realized that there were a bunch of dark photos. So... What he thought he was taking in his dream might have been actually real. been a real situation. <laughs> I don't really. Uh, it's really I like, get freaky. chills, but like I also don't know what to think. You know. I know. Well, because even if it isn't real, the story itself is like it's told it's so terrifying. well. The photos are terrifying. He's been talking about it for four months. Yeah. Too. So the three, photos, there are three of them, and the first photos mm-hmm. of 
what looks like Dear David. It's a boy in a striped t-shirt with a like chunk of his head missing. And he's sitting on this couch and it's a massive oh, I just got chills too. It's a massive big couch. So it's like it's hard to talk about. Yeah. So he looks like a tiny almost doll. Yeah, like he did figure. look like a doll, which freaked me out. Yeah. And then the second photo is of Dear David on the ground between the chair and the bed. And the third photo is Dear David like with his hands like almost on the bed, right? It's or on the yeah. bed. Yeah. Yeah, he was moving towards the bed. And I hate the second photo when he's getting off of the couch because at first I was like, okay, this kind of might be leaning more towards a hoax now. This right. seems like proof that it's being staged because this is too much. This is too forward for this story. It's different from what it has been. But then when he's moving off the couch, I was like, how do you stage a doll like that? Because he's kind of like pushing yeah. like like it looks catching like his body and lowering yeah. his weight Ooh. onto the ground. I got chills too. Why is my closet torn? Yeah, I'm going to go close it. Go, go, go. Could you hear the shuffle of my inner thighs swiping <laughs> against each other in my yoga pants? <laughs> As I walk. Guys, if you hear that, it wasn't a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> it was my thighs. <laughs> um, but anyway. Yeah, dear David, I don't know. I I don't want to say either way whether it's real or not because – Right. Because our whole thing is we're talking about stuff that many people think is unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, we You gave that whole speech in the beginning of this episode. We all know – And now we're being skeptics about <laughs> Adam. <laughs> But we're not really being – we're not being skeptical. We're being – We're proceeding with caution. Right. And we're trying to be – we're trying to rationalize things. And mm-hmm. I think that's what – with every situation and everything we talk about, we try to find some rational – like rational reason for what happens. Right. You can't just explain mm-hmm. or just automatically assume that something is something. You kind of have to go through a process of elimination right. and be like, okay. Yeah. Well, let us know what you guys think. Yeah. We have a whole thread on our Facebook page. So if there you, might be like four threads going on about Dear David on our Facebook probably. page. It's it a hot the topic, topic of the week. Yeah. And also, too, on our Facebook page, if you want to join to hop in on the discussion, please be sure to answer the two questions. Yeah. We send reminders to those who don't. But if you don't answer the questions, we just kind of assume it's someone who doesn't actually know what the what page is for. Yeah. And then we don't accept them. We know we have a misleading name. We know. We know. We know. We get some weirdos. <laughs> you might think you're looking for something that's not what we are. <laughs> Two girls, one ghost. It's not what you think. <laughs> I love it. Our first it. t-shirt. <laughs> I know. I was freaking out. I called you. When was it? You were like, we can never do apparel. We can never do <laughs> No merch. one's ever going to be able to wear our shirt because it says Two girls, one ghost. Huh. I'm proud of it. I love it. Actually, when you search two girls on Google, the third thing that comes up is two girls, one ghost. Oh, that's so Victory! awesome. Victory! We're going to beat them out eventually. <laughs> that would be awesome. Could you imagine if we were number one? <gasps> I don't know how that would be possible with all the teenage boys out in the world. Well googling well that what if crap. all the teenage boys are googling that and we come up and then they start clicking, clicking on, on us. us ah it's misleading surprise. surprise i was gonna it's not what you think <laughs> <laughs> oh okay 
Okay, last order of business, or at least for me. Um, okay. We have to announce who won the pumpkin carving contest. Oh, my gosh. We do. We're a week late, but that's okay. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. So we have three winners. Ooh. Ooh. And we'll feature these pumpkins on our Instagram and our Twitter and on our Facebook page on awesome. Monday when the, after this episode comes out. I want to see them. Okay. So the three winners are the Cooking Momster. <laughs> what a good name. Okay. So then <laughs> ran, Random Belen and AK Cakery. Those are our three Congrats! winners. And thank you for participating. Yeah. That's so cool. You guys' pumpkins are awesome. And I actually didn't carve one this, this year because it was – I didn't either. It was the first year ever. I was busy being a witch <laughs> in Salem. We don't carve pumpkins. People carve them about us. True. Um, the reason I didn't carve one is because it was 115 degrees the week of Halloween. <laughs> and I guarantee had I carved one and put it outside, it would have brought it through within an hour. Yeah. Yeah, it would be so stinky. So stinky. I, last year I carved one and I picked, when I went to go pick it up, it like caved in. It was just mush. Oh, so gross. Blah. Blah. In my childhood home, mm-hmm. we have a pond in the back of our property and we'd always throw the pot, pumpkins back there. And I always thought one year a pumpkin will grow and I'll get to pick it from the backyard. Wait, that would have been so nope. cool. Yeah. I think the rabbits always got to it before. Yeah. And the seeds. Yeah. Uh, R.I.P. Pumpkin. Oh, man. Well, congrats, you guys, for winning. Yes! You rock. We'll post your pictures on Instagram and all of our Can't other Can't wait to media. see them. Yeah. Uh, should we talk about exorcisms? Yes! And should we talk about how we picked the same topic by yeah. accident? I don't know how that happened. What if that demon just really wants to be talked about? Stop it. Sorry, sorry. I know you. I know you have to shower after this. I shouldn't say that stuff. No, let's keep this. Let's keep this PG. I'm scared. <laughs> let's not scare anyone, especially not ourselves. Right. We have to be completely calm and cool about this, okay? So, let's talk about that ghost, huh? Yes. Okay. So my story. Please tell me. So I chose, and Sabrina chose. <laughs> I changed mine though. I chose. I found new ones. Okay, thank you for doing that. Yeah, yeah. So I chose to do Ronald Doe is what he was referred to as back in the day. His real name is Ronald Hunkler. Hunkler? Yeah. Hunk- Hunkler. Right. Hunky. Hunky man. What a hunk. Ronald Hunky. Mm-mm. So <laughs> Ronald, we'll call him Ronald Doe because that's okay. what he was at the time. And easier to say. Yes. So he was first kept anonymous. Ronald Doe was one of his pseudonyms. He had a few others that he was referred to as, but his real name, Ronald Hunkler. He was born June 1st, 1936 in Cottage City, Maryland. He grew up in the town and he had an aunt who helped raise him alongside his parents. And she was thought to be a spiritualist and she used Ouija boards. Mm -mm. And she showed Ronald how to use one. If only they had listened to our podcast. I know. If only they could just jump about a century into the future. <laughs> or we could jump a century into the ba- past. That would be really cool. That would be really but cool. I don't want to die. I feel like there was a lot of death back then, a lot of wars. I don't think time has changed. Okay, I got to get serious. Okay, okay. 
So Ronald spent a lot of time with his aunt, Tilly, which made some people question their relationship because it was quite possibly an unhealthy amount of time spent together. The researchers say that there's quite a bit of evidence to suggest that Ronald was sexually abused by Mm -hmm. either his aunt Tilly or his live-in grandmother that lived with him at his parents' house. It's so sad. Um, Very, very sad. But who knows if it's true. Right. So, but it's leaning towards it is. Mm -hmm. Aunt Tilly died January 15th, 1949, when Ronald was 13 years old. And he supposedly brought out the Ouija board to try to contact his aunt after death. And soon after using the Ouija board, the family began experiencing strange things in their house. So they claimed to have heard strange noises coming from under the floors and from inside the walls of the grandmother's room. The noises sounded like scratches, and they were also heard coming from underneath the grandmother's bed. No. And religious pictures that were hung on the wall became or fell down forcefully they said it was as if someone was inside the wall bumping it and like pushing it off so at first they were like oh there must be an animal trapped inside of the wall so they called an exterminator who came and sprayed chemicals all over the inside of the house to the whole outside of the house in their home in maryland but the noises didn't stop and they only instead grew stronger the strange noises turned to stomping and banging and furniture began to move around Objects were levitating and objects continued to fall off of the walls and stuff started getting pushed off of tables and desks as well. After a few weeks, the noises moved into Ronald's room and began sounding like squeaking shoes walking around. And at one point, Ronald and his grandmother were together in the room and they heard drums and like marching move the length of his bed and back. Oh, And one of his relatives came into the room and asked, Aunt Tilly, is that you? And said, like, if it's you, knock three times. And there were three knocks that came from within the wall. Mm. I hate that. Don't be in the wall. <laughs> the family tried to ignore the sounds and weren't really sure how to respond to the haunting. But the more that they tried to ignore it, the more things happened. And the mattresses started to shake. No. And sheets would unwrap themselves. This is a little sidebar, but have you ever had that happen to you where your mattress where your bed vibrates, shakes. Excuse me? Have you? Is that, yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, my mom has said it happened to her too. Where it just feels like it's you're in bed and it's like, you know? No. Like from under you and then you can't sleep because you're scared. I've okay. never had that happen. That happened to you? Yes. Does it happen often? It used to happen quite frequently. In which house? And it wouldn't just be in my house. It would be, like, in a few places. I've never but had that happen. Yeah. Well, I always thought it was paranormal. And my mom was like, oh, that happens to me sometimes, too. It might just be, you know, like, the heat kicking on or something. But your mom, had, or your mom has had jumbling. Your mom has had paranormal experiences, too. Right. And I'm also very scared when it comes to that stuff and don't want to sleep alone when stuff like that happens. So I'm sure she's like, fuck, I don't want to sleep with her. It's nothing. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just like it's very subtle. It's not like you're like really rocking hard, but it's just like a a vibration. Okay. 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 All right. (laughs) So back to Ronald. Ignoring that paranormal experience. Let's move on. So scratch marks began appearing on Ronald's body 
quote, as if drawn by claws, and he started to have seizures. And the family, if they were to ask a question out loud and said, like, oh, I wonder, blah, 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 the entity would scratch, like, etch Ronald's body with the response. This went on for weeks, and Ronald became more and more tormented, and he was very, very scared. But he started cursing and spitting at his family. He would pee on the floor while Bibles and religious objects flew through the air around him, and he would sing strange songs that he'd never previously known. Oh, my gosh. So as scared as he was, all this stuff was happening, and he kind of lost control over his behavior and his body. That's crazy. Which happens in exorcisms. Yeah. I have a lot of that in my stories, too. Oh, good. I mean, not good, but (laughs) But, not good for them. Fun for us. (laughs) Finally, the family sought help, and they contacted Reverend Luther Miles Schulz of St. Stephen's Evangelical Lutheran Church, which is in Washington, D.C., because where they lived in Maryland wasn't that far from D.C. So they went to him, and mm-hmm. Schulz had Ronald come to his home overnight so that he could observe him, and he set up a bed next to his bed in the room, which I'm like, that's a little weird. Yeah, but, okay, that freaks me out. I read that, too, and I was like, eh. mm. What's going on here? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, we'll just we'll move on. So that night, the reverend heard scratching from within the walls of his own home. So the sounds moved. His heavy furniture was tipping over. Things were moving. The blankets Mm. on Ronald's bed were moving without him or Ronald touching them. (laughs) Chills. Especially because we always say. It's like we feel safe safe under under the covers. covers. Even though we know it's not true, it feels like it. And this is just another story that proves you're not. So Reverend Scholes referred the family to a Roman Catholic priest because he was like, you know what? This is beyond Mm -hmm. what I can deal with. So he was like, I have a buddy, Edward Hughes. He's a Roman Catholic priest. Go see him. So Hughes, Edward Hughes, he attempted multiple exorcisms on Ronald at the Georgetown University Hospital, but all his attempts failed. During one of the exorcist attempts, the word Lois appeared on Ronald's skin, and the family thought that that was the entity's way of telling them to go to their relatives, Leonard and Doris, in Missouri, which is kind of weird. It's like, oh, Lois, we must go see Leonard and Doris, but fine, okay. So during another session, Ronald's hands broke free from the restraints, and he broke a bed string off from the mattress, and then he slashed the priest's arm, which halted that exorcist attempt as yeah. well. Ugh. So Hughes was like, yanks, I don't think this is going to work for me. So then the family contacted another priest mm-hmm. in St. Louis University. So this was out in Missouri where their relatives Doris and Leonard live, and they got in contact with Priest Raymond J. Bishop, and Priest Raymond J. Bishop recruits Priest William S. Bodern, and together they meet at the relative's house, so Leonard and Doris were hosting the family at this point, and their house would soon earn the name The Exorcist House. (laughs) I don't know what noise that was, but... (laughs) (laughs) When the priests first met Ronald, he was laying down in bed, completely still, but the bed around him was shaking violently, and the word hello appeared on his skin. Ew. And his voice 
was guttural, so it was very animal-like and deep. And the priests got permission to perform the exorcism from the archbishop and used a centuries-old Catholic prayer book called the Roman Ritual. They made the sign of the cross over the bed with holy water. And as they did this, the bed stopped shaking, and all of a sudden Ronald was afflicted with, like, a very sharp pain in his stomach. So he's completely uncomfortable and wincing and in pain. So his mom goes over and she pulls back the covers and she lifts up his shirt and there were deep, dark scratches across his abdomen in like a zigzag fashion. Mm. Like as if claws were like across him. No. Objects were moving around the room. A bookcase turned completely around to face the wall. And when the priest read the scripture, they said animal-like noises came out of Ronald as if an animal was being injured. Ugh. So it was like wincing and whining. Um, bottles of holy water were thrown through the air. And yeah, it was just pretty crazy. And the priest conducted this exorcism over many sessions for several weeks. But the demon, they weren't having luck. It was it was staying in Ronald. So they weren't exorcising him and were needed some backup. So they requested backup. They called in Reverend Walter Halloran, and each time the priest would recite Our Lord or His Blessed Mother, scratches would appear on Ronald's body, and one time the word Hell appeared on his chest along with a picture of Satan drawn on his right leg, That, which is terrifying. so bizarre. He began speaking Latin, which is like, oh, it's a demon. It's Ugh. a demon. No one knows Latin. But Ronald began speaking Latin and displaying inhumane strength. So Ronald had to be restrained by all three priests, and he still broke free. And at one point, when he broke free, he reached over and he broke Reverend Halloran's nose. And Halloran was young. He was only 27, and he did sports. He was an athlete, so he played football and track and was pretty strong. So for a 13-year-old to break free from his grasp, and then also two other men holding him down is a little unsettling. So, inhumane strength. Another clue that he possessed by a demon. The priest continued to perform the exorcism over weeks, moving between the home of the relatives and Alexian Brothers Hospital and then also St. Francis College Church. And on April 18th, 1949, so this is the day after Easter, And four months after the paranormal activity started, the final exorcism was conducted at Alexian Brothers Hospital, and the priest took a more forceful approach. They put rosaries and religious articles around Ronald's neck, and they forced him to hold a crucifix. And he screamed, quote, he has to say one more word, one little word. I mean, one big word. He'll never say it. I am always in him. I may not have much power always, but I am in him. He will never say that word. Corinne. Mm. <laughs> that reenactment was so much. Sorry. No, it, it was, that my it was really good. Down in my cheeks. You're a good actress. Thank you. <laughs> I took theater for one semester. <sighs> While this was happening, it took five men to hold down 13-year-old Ronald. So one of the things that happened throughout his exorcisms were other people would come in to witness the exorcism and journalists and priests or whatever. Mm -hmm. Actually, maybe not journalists. I'm probably making that up. But people Mm -hmm. would come in, other priests and whatnot. 
to help with the exorcism. Um, so at this point in the final exorcism, there were multiple people in the room. Five men had to hold down 13-year-old Ronald. Let's remember what 13-year-old boys look like. They're scrawny. They haven't really gone through puberty. Yeah. Five men to hold him down. He and this kid silent. is also like full of scratches and bruises and damage. Oh, he's totally beat up. Yeah. Completely. And like I'm sure he's getting even more bruises from people holding him down right. so forcefully. And this is over weeks. So, I mean, he was pretty much confined to whatever space they were holding him in. Mm-hmm. He wasn't free to walk around. So, he – so once they are holding him down – He goes completely silent for a good amount of time. And then all of a sudden, he starts screaming again, Satan, Satan, I am Saint Michael and I command you, Satan, and all the other spirits to leave the body in the name of God immediately, now, now, now. And then he goes silent again. So this was a completely different type of entity coming through. It was like something out of his body was screaming for the other thing to leave him. So he goes silent. For seven minutes. And then Ronald wakes up as a normal boy, smiles at everyone, and then they're all like, dude, what happened? What'd you see? So when they asked Michael what happened, he said that he saw Satan and many of Satan's helpers battling with St. Michael, the archangel. And as the battle was ending, St. Michael had won and he turned down to Ronald and said, Dominus, which is the Latin word for Lord. Three years after the exorcism, priests were sent to check up on Ronald and reported that he was a fine young man. He went on to graduate from Gonzaga High School. He went to college. He earned two degrees in chemical engineering and also in psychology. He worked for NASA, Uh. and he retired in 2000. He got married in 1970, had three children. He named his firstborn Michael after the angel that saved him. And he is still alive. He's in his 80s, and he's living supposedly somewhere in Maryland. And apparently people that are close to him who kind of met him later on in life said that a lot of them were surprised to even hear that this happened to him. He doesn't really talk about it. It's crazy. So the exorcism was success. Mm -hmm. And this exorcism is somewhat unique because it was carefully, carefully documented by priest Raymond Bishop. And the reports of the exorcism also appeared in the newspaper. And according to the reports, more than 48 people had witnessed the exorcism at one time or another. So remember I said other people would come into the room and watch. There were a total of 48 people mm-hmm. over the three to four month span. Yeah. Seeing his possession and then his exorcism. Wasn't it the first exorcism performed in the U.S. too? It might have been. I think it was. There, so there are so many different groups now that perform exorcisms, mm-hmm. but the one that at least I normally think of is the Roman Catholic Church yeah. because priests are usually like the the go to. Well, they're also the trained Almighty. in it. I think that like you, they are. Yeah, you have to be. There's like a whole exorcisms. procedure and process to it. Yeah. Um, I actually read an article very, about like this uh, pope or sorry this priest in Italy. Who has been a who has been certified and been doing exorcisms for twenty seven years, and that it's very hard to get younger priests to want to do it because it's such like a high risk, terrifying job to do. Oh my gosh, it's so scary mm-hmm. because then what happens to the demon? Does where does the energy go? Right. Does it just 
go into the next person in the room? What happens? It's very creepy. And also I read too that the priests or Roman Catholic Church are they're quite picky about exorcisms. They yeah. Because you have to be granted permission. Yes, you have to be church. granted permission. Yeah. And they go through all the steps of trying to be like, okay, well, are these delusions? Is this mental illness? Is this something right. else? Is this acting? What? So it has to basically meet all these benchmarks before it can be considered right. for priests to, to do. Which is good because people get caught up in it and like want the publicity of it. So they fake it or they claim it and – it's good to go through all those steps and make sure that, like, it is an actual right. possession case. Which makes it even more scary that it's like, okay, there's – we went through everything and the only plausible explanation at this point from what is happening to you and around the room and to your body and your strength is that there's another entity within you. Yeah. That's taking over and is evil. That's – it's got to be – obviously terrifying for the person that it's happening to but oh my god can you imagine being like a mother or like a sibling to someone who's going through that and just being so completely scared oh no my story has a lot of the elements of the questions you've asked well just my last little part is that the newspaper articles so remember i said that um this exorcism appeared in the newspapers, and so it gained more publicity. And that's why he was referred to as Ronald Doe at mm-hmm. first, because they wanted to protect his identity. But these newspaper articles are what inspired the book The Exorcist by William Peter Blatty. He had seen an article in the Washington Post titled, Priest Freeze Mount Rainer Boy Reported Held in Devil's Grip. Weird title, but anyway. Yeah. So he saw that, and then he contacted the priests. He found out that one of the priests, so Raymond Bishop, had documented everything in a journal, but the priest wouldn't allow him to see the report. He figured out that there were multiple copies because the priest would keep one and then they'd keep one in like their library or whatever. Like the church, like there yeah, were different the church places. has one, yeah. Right. There were like three or four copies of this thing. Mm-hmm. He eventually got his hands on a copy. I don't know how. Maybe he made a deal with the devil. Oh, don't and, say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> And then that from that report, that is what inspired his book and eventually the movie The Exorcist. And he changed in the book, in the movie, he changed Ronald to be instead a young middle school aged girl named Reagan instead of Ronald. So the connection was there, but a lot of what happened in oh the movie gosh. and book were inspired by the real events that happened to Ronald. Yeah, the scene that really sticks out to me in the movie, the scene where she goes <laughs> backwards on the stairs, and then when she pees <gasps> Ooh, on the she floor. Crawls, she, like, crab walks backwards. Yes. In front, and, like, yeah, don't get, it's like, like in front of all of the something. people at the house. Yeah. Oh, Ugh. my gosh. Oh, I hate it. it. Yeah, it's terrifying. I hate it. But that movie's really good. That was, like, because that's one of the things that's, like, it's there's no other explanation right. for your body to distort like that and to move like that. Peeing seems to be a common theme. All your bodily functions, you just yeah. vomit, you pee, they you don't poop. Yeah. Everything comes out. I also hate that the the story starts with it like the ghost seems like it's the ant. Cause it goes back to the conversation we always have mm-hmm. about demons being able to manipulate people and like convince them that they're someone that they know and yes. mimic voices or 
Because mm-hmm. they can mimic and that, then right? once you trust mm-hmm. them, it's like, bam, I'm in ya. They're the original theater arts right there. They're oh. the OG actors. Yes. Um. So when I was in Colorado this weekend for Nick's friend, Nick's friend from high school got married and her dad knows the one of the priests who did that exorcism. Mhm. What? But I didn't get to hear the whole story from him, but I guess he knew the, one of the priests that did the the exorcism and had heard the story from him. And oh my god. So, unfortunately because his daughter was getting married, I didn't have like a ton of time to talk to him and I didn't get to hear that story. Mhm. But um he has also had a ton of experiences. Yeah, so I was telling Nick. I was trying to get Nick to find more of the story, but we'll have to do that one again oh another gosh. time. Or have him talk about um, it. I'm not going to say the name of the person, but there's someone that went to school with us whose family is family friends with um, the Warrens. That, like, famous Wait, they're in my story. One. Why? Why do you know everything that I'm going to say? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm a ghost. Should I tell you? Can I hear? Yeah. So I thought that we should like tell what some of the scientific view on possession is and like how they explain what possession is. Um, Mm. So they. Good idea. I kind of briefly looked it up. So it says that demonic possession is not psychiatric or medical diagnosis recognized by by psychologists or by scientists. Those who show signs or symptoms of. possession are often associated in the psychological world or in the scientific world with physical or mental illness such as hysteria mania psychosis tourette's epilepsy schizophrenia or dissociative identity disorder Mm -hmm. and then there's like a bunch of other things there's a form called form of monomania called demon demonomania or demonopathy in which the patient believes that he or she is possessed by one or more demons. Um, and the illusion, I like that the wording is so like, that it's craziness. Yeah, it implies that yeah. it's completely false what's happening. The illusion. The illusion. It says that the illusion of it works on people experiencing symptoms of possession is attributed to placebo effects and the power of suggestion. And that which the mind is a very powerful thing, right? Some cases suggest that supposedly possessed persons are actually narcissists or suffering from low esteem and act demonically possessed in order to gain attention. And like, can I add one of the things? I believe histrionic personality disorder or histrionic disorder may also be one of the disorders that yeah are said to lead into people thinking because you hear of like a ton of serial killers who say like the devil told me to do it or son of sam yeah exactly the devil neighbor's dog told him Mm -hmm. to do it and my story too well one of them but i mean i just thought it was interesting that like i i think it is safe to say that a lot of possession situations or circumstances are caused by mental illness and like they are Mm -hmm things that aren't real or that you believe are real and aren't but i also strongly believe that there are a lot of possession stories and like people do get possessed and exorcisms are real 
Mm -hmm. And maybe one of the scariest things to happen to you is if you are possessed and someone says, oh, you're just mentally ill. Right. That is unfortunate. Uh, Okay. So I'll tell you my stories. I'll just do, I'll just do one because I feel like it, it applies more to what we've been talking about and the other one's really short. Okay. My story starts on July 3rd of 1980 when David Glatzel, an 11-year-old boy, woke up screaming about a man with big black eyes, a thin face, with animal features, jagged teeth, pointed ears, horns, and hooves. The man beast warned David to beware. <gasps> After this dream, his whole demeanor changed. He became quiet and nervous, and David's sister Debbie and the family were worried about him, so Debbie invited her fiancé to stay with them and help David out of this funk and just like be there for, to support him. Debbie's fiancé's name was Arn Cheyenne Johnson. So they moved in, and the nightmares started to get worse, and the beast promised to take David's soul. But why... Why even go visit him and warn him in the first place? Is that like part of the fun and the game being like, it's possible. I get to make you even more scared. Just wait. Like, why wouldn't you just ha, come in? Come or, in hot. or maybe it's that like you have to initiate scare tactics in order to possess him. You know, like I feel like. Yeah. To make someone make more vulnerable. And, vulnerable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And okay. also I think. Demons have the ability to deteriorate mental state as well. Like, so the the less you are able to think logically, the more able they are to, to penetrate your mind. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. That's what I think. So uh, the beast started to terrorize him during the day as well as the night. And every time he appeared, odd scratches and bruises would appear on David Noises came from the attic, but no one could find an answer to what was causing them. And David claimed oh to see the gosh, man. That's like paranormal activity. Mm-hmm. Well, also like your story where they, they thought the it was attic. an animal in the walls. And so they tried yeah. to. Then David claimed to see the man during the day and said that he appeared as an old man with a white beard dressed in a flannel shirt and jeans. And Santa? Yeah. <laughs> That's so sad. Santa off season. Terrifying Santa. He like knew that this beast was posing as this man. So the Glatzel family was terrified, so they turned to their church. A priest came and blessed their home, but that only seemed to piss the entity off. And the sounds became louder and David's visions got worse. David would start to hiss at his family, spit at them, and speak in many different voices. Which is so Sign similar. number one. Yeah. The family would rotate to keep watch over David throughout the night. So what, like they they would have someone always awake watching over him while he slept because he would wake up at least every 30 minutes and often have seizures. What is with the seizure thing? That happened in mine too. Mm-hmm. That you have a seizure. It's like, is that the part body. of – Is that what it is or is it the body just being like your body shutting down and rejecting oh, it being like, no, 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 no. Like fighting Trying to – yeah, trying to fight it. It could be both. Uh, So the family felt really hopeless, so they reached out to Ed and Lorraine Warren. (gasps) Who are the – Babe couple. Yeah. Who are the infamous paranormal investigators and demonologists who have – who investigated the Annabelle case and uh, I believe they're the couple represented in uh, The Conjuring. 
Yes, it, the family whose home was haunted or possessed. possessed. Yeah, Ed and Lorraine went and actually, um, in The Conjuring, they come and they help get rid of the demon or right. the entity. But in real life, um, they weren't able to get rid help. of it. <sighs> so the Warrens drove to the Glotzel house and. Ed interviewed David while Lorraine observed and just watched the whole thing happen. Mm-hmm. She, Lorraine said that as Ed was interviewing David, she saw a black mist form next to David, which made her think that there was a negative energy or entity in the home or around David. As Ed was interviewing David, David claimed that to feel like invisible hands choking him. And mm. they kind of like held David and like he felt better and they were red hand marks on his neck and he also felt like something hit him in the face and there was a mark on his face after that oh my gosh and so lorraine and ed along with four priests held three different exorcisms to free david and in the process they freed him from 43 demons what and that's probably why he was speaking so many different voices (gasps) oh my gosh i didn't think about that yeah do you think it's like each demon has their own thing? Oh, uh, maybe. Maybe. Oh, wow. Um, During all of the exorcisms, everyone in the family was sitting around or helping and praying and trying to just help the priest as they can, as they could. So during one of them, uh, Arne Cheyenne Johnson taunted the demons, claiming that they were too frightened to try to enter him. No. After the exit, the story is wild. Oh my gosh. Never, don't do that. Don't provoke anything that is clearly stronger than you that you cannot see. Yeah. So then, after the exorcisms were over, the Warrens were afraid for Arn and. Uh, Lorraine called the local police to tell them to keep an eye on Arn. And after that, things seemed to get better for David, aside from some psychological issues that he had from the whole situation, and he had a lot of trouble sleeping, but he was back to being a normal kid and wasn't possessed anymore. So then Debbie and Arn moved out of the house and into an apartment rented out by a man named Alan Bono. And within a few days after the exorcism, things started to change within Arn. He had always been the good guy, dropping things to help others. His mom ran out of money once and he dropped out of school in order to get a job to make money for her. And, like, he was just one of those people who would do things for others and was a good guy. Yeah, always put others before himself. He was a caretaker. But then after the exorcism, he started to get into trouble with the law and he would go into these trances where he would growl at nothing and claim to see the beast man yeah oh and when he snapped out of it he would claim to remember nothing he had no idea what happened and oh my gosh i just got like chills on my scalp from that so then there is one report and i don't know 100 percent if this is true or if this is because there have been a few movies that have been made about the situation so i don't know if this is something that has been added in the story telling of the story in other versions of it or in like a fictional version but one of the reports says that a few days after the exorcism Arn was attacked when the demon took over his car and forced it into a tree 
but he was okay and didn't get like too badly injured from the accident. Mm-hmm. And then Arn went to an old well that supposedly housed the beast demon and he made eye contact with the demon and it is said that is when he became possessed. Oh. So then early in the morning of February 16th of 1981, Arn Cheyenne Johnson, who was 19 at the time, called in sick from work. He went to spend the day with Debbie and a few other people at the kennel where Debbie worked. And Alan Bono, who was the landlord, came to pick them up to go to lunch at a local bar. And it's not clear if they had been drinking or not. Some reports said that they had been drinking heavily and others said that they didn't drink at all. They just had lunch. Mm -hmm. But after they had lunch, they went back to the kennel where Arn and Alan got into a really big fight. And Arn started to growl and hiss. So Debbie tried to get everyone out of the room, but Alan grabbed one of the girls that was with him and refused to let go of her. Debbie tried to get in between Arn and Alan to prevent further fight or right, yeah, break and, it up, yeah. And that is when Arn pulled out a five-inch knife and stabbed Alan Bono in the stomach a few times. What? Alan was taken to the hospital where he died a few hours later. He was stabbed multiple times in the stomach, and one of the stab wounds went like up through his stomach to the heart oh no so they arrested oh. arn a few hours after the attack and it is the first known court case in the u.s which in which the defense tried to prove innocence based on the defendant's claim of demonic possession and denial of responsibility for the crime can i can i ask something from a skeptic's perspective please yes how old was he? 19. Okay, because mental illness, and especially schizophrenia, does come out in men in their early yeah. 20s, usually. I mean, it's totally possible, and I believe it. I think there are some circumstances in the of the story that point to that. But mm-hmm. it is a weird coincidence that such a powerful demon and such a like, large number of demons had just possessed his fiance's brother and he was there for the exorcisms right it's the whole timing of everything so i mean the other the other way to look at it the way from like a skepticism perspective is because he was developing mental illness and he was there for the exorcisms he grasped onto that idea and like believed it to be real it became his reality yeah his delusions were revolved around that right But this case is known as the devil made me do it case, and it didn't work. He was convicted of first-degree manslaughter for killing his landlord on November 24th of 1981. But it took the jury 15 hours over the course of, I think, I think, I can't remember, three to five days to make that conviction. Mm Mm-hmm. But the case gained a lot of media attention and inspired the movie called The Demon Murder Case. And also in uh, 1983, Gerald Brittle, with the assistance of Lorraine Warren, wrote the book titled The Devil in Connecticut. In 2006, the book was republished and David and his brother Carl Glatzel sued because Carl claims that Ed and Lorraine Warren exploited their family. And he says that David had mental illness and that they made a possession claim in order to get Johnson out of jail time. So there's all of this, like, information that it's conflicting, you don't really know what's real, and or if it's just such a traumatizing event that David and Carl just don't want to relive it anymore. Mm -hmm. 
because the writer Gerald Brittle has over 100 hours of interviews and video recordings with the family documenting this story. So he has evidence of them admitting to the story of it happening. But um, Arn got out of jail after uh, serving five out of the 10 to 20 year sentence. And he is now married to Debbie. And they wholeheartedly support all of the accounts from Ed and Lorraine and the book and the possessions. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad that he's okay now and like leading a normal life. Right. And married and everything. Because that's how, that maybe goes against the skeptic's perspective. If it was mental illness, you don't just switch it off. Right. He would still be dealing with it. Right. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, exorcisms are so terrifying. Possessions are so terrifying. Yes, possessions. We could do a hundred episodes on exorcisms. Like we could just do a whole podcast on exorcisms because there are so many. And I'm just thinking about all of our listener stories. There's a few that are mm-hmm. specific to exorcisms, but there are also a few where someone's like, and then also, like, side note, this other thing happened to me and I can't really explain it. Right. It seems kind of like maybe I was possessed. <laughs> like, oh, just, my God. Just maybe casual casual possession on a Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Yep. Speaking of listener stories, should we read our listener story? Yes. So we have, like we said, we have a lot of awesome listener stories, so we might do like a whole another episode about this, but – we have one email specifically that's in two parts that we'll read tonight. For Scary Sunday. Scary Sunday. Scary. This story, we are keeping it anonymous, but the subject is the scariest real possession story you will ever read. She's not wrong. I'm scared now. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Hi, Corinne and Sabrina. I've been listening to your podcast on my super long commute to school. I live in Miami and traffic is horrible. I wanted to tell you a true story of what I experienced in the summer of 2012. Prepare yourselves. This is a long one, but it is probably one of the most unique stories you will ever hear. And to this day, I cannot believe I witnessed this with my own eyes. I was 20 years old at the time, and I was into running around my neighborhood. I did that religiously every evening for about an hour. It was an awesome way to relieve stress from working on my biology degree. One evening, as I'm running, I ran into an old friend from high school. Let's call him Rick, as I don't want to give out his real name since it's quite unique. I ran into Rick on my run. He stopped me to say hello. Apparently, he lived in my neighborhood. I continued on my way because Rick had this bad boy type of reputation and I didn't want any part of that or so I thought at the time the next evening I go on my run again same time same route as usual and there he is waiting for me so this time he insisted to go with me on my run except it turned into a jog because come on you can't really run and have a full conversation at the time so we catch up and this encounter becomes a daily thing About a week later, we begin hanging out at each other's houses, and I begin hanging out with his friends. The first week, I didn't see anything weird. He even told me he was a Christian like me and was an avid churchgoer. I even went to a youth group event with him and his two friends. And then things started to get creepy little by little. One night, I went over to his house to watch the Miami Heat play in the NBA Finals with him and his friend. He was into music and had a DJ turntable. 
I was a musician for 10 years at the time, but had never attempted DJing or producing music. I thought it would be a fun activity to do with with Rick as we quickly went from old friends catching up to unofficially dating. I don't know what it's called these days because now I'm happily married and been out of the dating scene for years. Oh, lucky you. We can't all be so lucky. <laughs> we can take this out. My single bitterness does not have a place in this podcast. I kind of like it. No. It's like skepticism, but with relationships. <laughs> Love, what is that? It doesn't exist. I used to not think it existed. I know. Okay. The first weird or paranormal thing that occurred was that the MacBook Pro we were using was placed on top of a flat table, and underneath that table was another table with the DJ turntables. I saw with my own eyes the laptop close almost completely shut. Pause for a background story. I was raised to not believe in ghosts, nor even attempt to communicate with spirits. Also, being a scientist in training, I was trying to make sense of what I saw, but there was no air that could have closed it. Nothing behind the laptop. It was paranormal. So I told Rick what I saw, and he said, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, my room is haunted. And I just was shocked at how calm he was about the entire situation. So I said, well, Rick, pray for some light and love to fill the space so that nothing bad happens to you. Even though I didn't believe in ghosts at the time, I had done my research on them. I mean, come on, I was a scientist in training. I have always had a very curious mind, and even though I'm a person with person who is strong in their faith, I am also very open to learning about other belief systems. So, a few days pass, and we continue hanging out, and things begin to get even more spooky. To sum it up, in a rather quickly fashion, to get, the, get to the possession portion of the story, he sent me a video taken on his phone about him proving to me that not only was his room haunted, but he was haunted by some spirit, and he knew about it. The video was of him sitting in his friend's house. He placed a cup on the table and then said, Spirit, knock over the cup. And the cup was knocked over. I don't like where this is going. No. Because he's taunting it. Right. Don't encourage that sort of behavior and communication and give it strength by directing your energy towards it. Mm -mm -mm. I forgot how scary this story is. Okay. We were on FaceTime one night having a regular conversation when in the background I see a tall black figure with what looked like what looked like what the Grim Reaper wears. Pointy hoodie hat, long pointy fingers, and it was making signs with its hands. What? When I googled demonic signs, the same exact signs came up. I took screenshots of what I saw to prove it to him, and I saved them on my computer for future reference to prove I wasn't making this story up until Rick got possessed. <gasps> what? Oh, oh, why are we telling this story? I know. <laughs> More like, why do we record at night? It's midnight here. I know, it's almost midnight your time. Ugh. Okay. Another strange event occurred when we were playing in a big field behind his house. We were playing catch with a baseball. He told me, I wonder what would happen if I wrote to the spirit on this baseball. Throw it out into this field and see if the baseball makes its way back to me. I wasn't comfortable with the idea of summoning anything or making myself open to it, but my curiosity just got the best of me. So he wrote, hello. And I wrote, may the light guide you home. He threw the, ba- the ball as far as he could into the field. It was nighttime, so we really don't know where it went. 
Then he gave me the pen he wrote with and told me, take this home to you with your house. When, and when the baseball comes back to me and there is a response in it, I don't want you to think I wrote on it to scare you or something. So I said, okay, and I took the pen back to my house. A few days pass, and I forget all about the baseball we wrote on. He calls me and tells me, you won't believe what I found when I was walking in the field today. I asked him if it was the baseball, and he said, yes. We got a response, and the response was, no. The response was, die, bitch. <gasps> what? No. What? Oh. Oh, no. No. I, oh. I quickly check if the pen is on my nightstand where i left it and it was nowhere to be found i need a massage because i'm holding myself so tightly and I'm so tense and gonna be sore tomorrow Ugh. i rush over to him and see the baseball and the handwriting did not match his i told him the pen was missing and upon further analysis of the baseball the handwriting the words the response writing was writing in the same shade as our handwriting meaning it was written with the same pen I freaked out and told him, I really don't want to keep chasing this thing and what, and that we should just leave things alone. I told him, please don't bring this topic up, not even in conversation. But things got worse. He picked me up in his car one morning to get breakfast at, cl- at a close-by Cuban cafe. On his way to drop me off, he was talking funny. He was using words I had never heard him use before. He kept insisting he had a middle name when, in fact, he did not have one. He also began speaking in third person. Mind you, he's the one driving. Oh, my God. Could you imagine? I would be like, I would just tuck and roll through yeah. the through the next intersection. Whoop. I'm out. Ugh. It wasn't until the car stopped that we had arrived at my house that I realized I had already been speaking with the entity that and that indeed he was possessed. I brushed everything off when I got home. I kept telling myself that maybe he was playing a joke on me and just wanted to scare me. And I decided to cut things off with him and speak to him less. About a week passes by, and I will never forget the next thing I'm about to tell you. This interaction is forever ingrained in my memory, and I honestly wish I could delete it from my brain. So Rick calls me and tells me, I'm outside your house. Come outside, please. It's one in the morning, and my strict parents would probably be upset if I did that. They weren't too fond of him because he had this bad boy vibe, like I said before. But I said, okay. I go outside, and he's standing in front of me. In the middle of the conversation, his eyes roll back, and he falls to the floor. I kneel beside him and I tell him, Rick, are you okay? Are you okay? He's screaming in pain for a few minutes. And then when he stands up, there's little, he stands up as if that little episode never happened and says, hello. No. What? (gasps) I said, hi there, Rick. What happened? And he says, nothing happened. I said, okay, well, do you remember just now your eyes rolled back and all I could see was the white of your eyes? You're not in pain? And he says, nope, I don't feel pain. Do you know who I am? Oh, and I said, yes. my God. You're Rick. And he says, Rick? No, I'm not Rick. I'm Johnny Rocket Smith. I made up this name because I do not want to reveal the actual name of the entity. And I thank you for that because, oh, could you imagine if she said the real entity? I'd be way too scared to say it. I know. It's one of those things where, like, sometimes if something's a little too intense, it. it's like, I don't, like, don't say the name out loud. Yeah. Okay. I said, okay, Johnny, what happened to Rick? I can't believe she's so calm during this. I know. And he says, this is my body now. I'm here because you won't listen. You're too good for him. You're changing him in good ways. I cannot allow you to destroy my work. I need this body. I said, okay, well, what are you? You're not a demon because I am sure a demon wouldn't converse as calmly as you are right now. So tell me what you are. Johnny says, I was not human. I was not male. 
or female. I am a fallen angel. Oh my God. So then I respond, so you work for the devil? And Donnie says, yes. I said, okay, well, prove it to me. How do I know you are what you say you are? And I'm not speaking to Rick, who is possibly playing a joke on me. Tell me something only I know. Donnie replies, last Christmas, you were getting to know a guy. It was the first Christmas without your uncle alive because he had just passed away. And instead of spending it with your family, Christmas Eve, your most favorite holiday of them all, you chose to spend Christmas Eve with this guy and his family. And you were so disappointed because you figured out that he wasn't who he said he was. He was actually a devil worshiper and didn't pray for the food before eating it. In fact, nobody in his family prayed for the food, yet you bowed your head and you prayed to God. You thanked him for the food you were about to eat, and you thanked him for the blessings in your life. My eyes teared up. I never told anyone that had happened. I never told anyone about the time I had prayed quietly for my food while everyone around me kept trying to disturb me as I was praying. And after, they all looked at me funny and asked what I did and why I did it. It was the first time in my life I outwardly expressed my faith and was questioned about it. I didn't mind it, but it made me sad because I should have been with my family and not some guy and his family that I had just met. I said, okay, Johnny. Well, that's true. That did happen. I never t- and I never told anyone about it. Not Rick, not my parent, not even a single soul. But how do I know you have the power to possess someone like you just did to Rick here? And Johnny said, earlier today, I was at the Marlin Stadium. I was with a family of four. Oh, God, I forgot about this part. Oh, no. Earlier today, I was at the Marlins Stadium. I was with a family of four, a mom, a dad, two kids. You want to know what I told the dad to do? I told him to commit suicide. I sat right beside him the entire time and whispered in his ear. I told him to stop. I have heard enough out of you. I was getting upset. Johnny interrupts me and says, do you want to know how I look like? And I said, no. And he says, you know you do. Come closer to me. I'm going to put my hands on the side of your head and I will whisper to you. I said, no, no, no. Not going to do it. And he says, really? You're not curious? I said, okay, fine. But if you hurt me, if you try to hurt me, God will condemn condemn you to hell and you will never leave. I know God stands with me and beside me. I know he refuses to let you hurt me in any way. And he says, you're right about that. I couldn't possess any of you or your family members, let alone step into your house. The faith and light in your home is too bright. It burns if I even try to get close. This entire neighborhood, though, it's full of darkness. I can walk freely here. Well, I'm going to go to church again. Used to go. Don't go right now. Going to go tomorrow. It's not even over. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) My neck hurts from, like, being in a ball. You might actually have to stay on the phone with me while I take like a really quick five minute shower. That's fine. That's fine. I'm so I'll sorry. Just do my work while I do I'm it. so sorry. Oh my gosh. No, don't. Okay. 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 So I let him put his hands on my head and he begins to whisper. It sounds as if a snake is talking to me. At first, it's all in a language I don't understand. The phonetic sounds of the language he was speaking was as if a snake was talking. How do I explain via email? I can't. All I can tell you is that an ancient it was an ancient language. After a few seconds, I began to understand the language, and although it sounded like English mixed with snake sounds, I don't remember what was said for sure. But I began getting a vision of a green pasture, and once I began getting the vision, I pulled back and said, that's enough of your games with me. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I rebuke you in all that you are. May God have mercy on your soul, and may you go back to where you came from. You are not allowed to be near me anymore, not you and not Rick. Then he backed up and said, 
oh really that's how it's going to be and i said yes i'm going to count to 10 if you're and if you're not out of my sight i will come get whoever is awake from inside my house to come see you for what you are and your identity will be revealed and he said look i will leave you alone on one condition you delete all photos you have of me on your laptop i know you saw me and i know you took screenshots get rid of them i said okay deal i shook his hand and said now leave he starts running full speed faster than i've ever seen a human run before and then he gets yeah i hate this story so much and then as he gets three houses down he throws himself onto the floor johnny was trying to hurt the human body he had possessed i quickly run inside and tell my older sister to get into her car and drive me to rick's house he lived right in front of the green field which was around the corner four houses down mine My sister gets in the car, doesn't ask me questions, and we both witness Rick hitting his own body against the concrete behind his house over and over. (sighs) I put the car window down and shout, leave Rick alone, Johnny. My friend then disappears into his house. I finally got home, and my sister, a double major in psych and biology, tells me to tell her everything that happened. She pulls out the DSM book and tries to diagnose me with a psychological disorder. I tell her, are you kidding me? I am not crazy. I don't do drugs. I don't smoke. I don't drink. Everything I experienced is real and you don't believe me? How? You have experienced things yourself. Our cousin, who is a pastor, has performed exorcisms before. This is real and it happened to me. Needless to say, my sisters don't believe me to this day, nor do my parents. Fast forward to fall 2014, I begin an official relationship with my now husband. His mother believes in spirit saint and she believes in black magic and may or not practice may or may not practice it. To this day, I do not know because me and her do not get along. That's sad. Yeah. She sees a psychic medium once a month religiously. She pulls me aside away from my husband, his brother, and anyone with an earshot of the conversation and tells me. I went, to a, I went to the psychic medium and you came up in the reading. I have a message for you. Everything you experienced that summer, it was real. I told her, okay, well, it's good to know that someone believes me and that what I experienced was, was, re- was real, but please do not ever relay any messages from a psychic or any of the sorts. I refuse to open myself up to that world ever again. It has only brought negative things to my life. So that's my story of my firsthand witnessing a possession and possibly the most spookiest encounter I have ever had in my life. I just like to make a quick note that and say that even though I chose not to see psychics nor play with Ouija boards or pretty much anything to summon spirits, I do enjoy listening to spooky stories like the ones you tell on your podcast because after all, I'm a curious individual who is still open to listening to other people's experiences. Uh, thank you for listening to my encounter. Feel free to use it on your podcast if you like and feel free to email me back with any questions you may have. Oh, she said, if you must give a name on your podcast, please refer to me as Ashley. Best wishes. Her experience is making me question my desire to go see that one particular psychic. Maybe I won't. Oh, the psychic party? Yeah, and then they went to the psychic party. I mean, I don't know. Think about it. It's hard. I think anytime you do... Anytime you open yourself up, you risk... I try to shut myself off, especially doing this podcast. I feel like I'm just like throwing up a shield. I know. Should I read the second part? Mm Mm-hmm. So the questions I asked were basically about rick because i wondered if she had seen him since or had heard from him or known what happened to him Mm -hmm. she said to be honest i was absolutely traumatized after that happened i couldn't sleep for months because i kept replaying the conversation in my head and seeing the black figure and the pointy fingers whenever i would close my eyes 
I fell into a depression for about a year after that because my parents didn't believe me, nor my sisters. I never spoke to Rick after that. I completely pushed him away and blocked his number on my phone, even blocked him on all social media. I wanted nothing Mm -hmm. to do with him after that encounter. I decided that my life had no room for whatever darkness is attached to him. I'm having a hard time reading this because I just keep picture picturing him hitting himself on the concrete. I and know. I'm in like the darkness of the night. And I hate that. Like two o'clock in the morning. Oh my God. It's so scary. Um, so about two years pass and I caught up with an old friend. Let's call her Bella. We had been friends since we were 10 years old. At this point in time, I believe we were about 22 or 23 years old. And I hadn't spoken to her for about five or six years. But I had seen her around school because she was also a bio major. So I still had her as my friend on Facebook. And I messaged her one day to ask about future courses I was going to take. And if she had taken any of those courses yet. Well, one thing led to another. And we began talking about our goals and our friends basically catching up. At this point, she'd become very religious, which was different for her because when I had met her originally growing up, she didn't believe in anything. In fact, she didn't believe God existed, nor did she believe in ghosts or spirits. So I asked her about the church she was going to and if she liked going there. She tried to get me to go, but I never went because the denomination of Christianity I'm a part of is very different from hers, and I didn't want to feel uncomfortable if I went to her church. I wouldn't. I would have gone any other time, but at this point in my life, I wanted to feel 110% secure in my faith because I just wanted to stop being depressed and scared due to the entire possession experience I had been through. Even though I didn't take her up on this offer to visit her church, she explained to me that her denomination of Christianity believes that God gives us gifts, and she even directs me to the verses in the Bible that speak about it. Specifically, There is a gift of discerning spirits, and according to what she told me, her church believes that those chosen to have that gift can feel the energy or aura of a person, or even see the spirits attached to that person. Side note, my denomination of Christianity acknowledges those gifts exist, but do not encourage church members in developing them because the person can risk opening doors and invite negative energies. It makes sense if you think about it. If you're trying to open a door or to develop your gift, how do you protect yourself against negative energies if if you're still a baby and developing this gift? She kept talking about the gifts in the Bible, and I told her about the entire possession experience because I felt as though she could give me advice on how to get through the aftermath of going through such an experience. And you know what she told me when I told her Rick was involved? That Rick was attending her church, and she invited him over one day along with several members of young adult group of her church to come to her house for a game night and Bible study. By the way, this was confirmed, and it was the real, the same person because Rick, Bella, and I all went to middle school together, so we all knew each other. Plus, his actual name is so unique, it would be difficult to get him confused with someone else. So when he walked into her house, he said hello to her mother, and then he went to say hello to her brother and shook his hand. When her brother made eye contact with him, he smiled and walked away. The rest of the time... Why is Rick so creepy? Dude, Rick! The rest of the time he was in her house, her brother seemed distant from the group, and I believe he even left and went to a friend's house. He didn't even want to be in the same room or the same house as him. So her brother comes back home a few hours later when everyone has left and Bella asks her brother why he left so suddenly and 
He told her that when he looked into Rick's eyes, what he saw was the scariest image he had ever seen in his entire life. And by this point, he had already worked on developing his gift. That's one of the purposes of her church for members to develop their spiritual gifts in a positive way to help their members reach God's purpose for their lives. So Bella asks for her brother to describe what he saw, and he described the exact figure from my screenshots. Black pointy hat, long skinny fingers making weird hand signals. What the fuck? Mm. (sighs) I tried to look up on Facebook that conversation with her, but I think she deleted that Facebook account and made a new one because I can't find it in my chat conversation with her. In the end... She changed to a new church and never let Rick come over to her house again. She trusted what I told her and what her brother had seen. I hadn't spoken with her in months now, and we never spoke about this again after that conversation, but maybe I'll message her tomorrow with that screenshot I found and tell her to show her brother oh, so yeah. he can confirm that the same it was the same figure he saw if he's up to it. Wait, I didn't know she still had a screenshot. She sent us a picture. Yeah, there was a second email after she sent the us first a picture. She sent? Mm-hmm. I'm not looking at it. Yeah, you can't look at it. No. It's it's scary. I don't want to do this podcast anymore. Oh, can can you make sure that that email isn't somewhere that I'll click on it? Okay, I'll put it in. Fuck I'm going to make that. a folder. Do not look. Because I'm also scared. Like, what if seeing it, since he didn't want to be seen, is like summoning it? Oh, wait, I looked at it. Sorry. <laughs> Corinne, why would you say that? <laughs> I want you to be just as scared as me. And now I'm freaking doomed? No, you're not doomed. It was just a thought. I'm sure you're fine. It's just a photo from years and years ago. I'm sorry. Can you keep reading? Can we get this over with? Yes, yes. Okay. (laughs) Can we stop doing this podcast forever? Seriously. Like, I'm so uncomfortable. Can we talk about rainbows and butterflies next week? Okay. Okay. So, anyway. After writing the initial email to you girls, I couldn't sleep that night and I was so paranoid. Whoa, sorry. I have a dark entity coming out of my body. (laughs) It's called gas. I'm sorry for my burping. It's okay. My husband was trying his best to remind me that Rick isn't in my life anymore, and it's okay because the dark entity can't get to me or our home, but it's always in the back of my mind. I agree that this story has a huge lesson in it, and I also believe it happened to me so that I may share it to others to prevent this from happening. We just need to surround ourselves with love and light, good people and positivity. And we must be aware of the energy that others around us give off. I'm very good at picking up energy. I have so many stories. I could write a book. Literally, she should write a book. Oh my God. She should. Are you kidding? Scariest bedtime story ever. She said, feel free to use my story. I'm interested in hearing what the rest of the community thinks about it. I definitely won't get upset if anyone doesn't believe me. I lived through it as clear as day. Wow. You know what? I might not even leave my room. Can I, like, make a makeshift bedpan so I can just pee right here and then get in my bed and cry? Well, should should we wrap it up? Yeah, this is melting my heart. Leia jumped on my lap and is purring so loud. Well, we are so glad you guys all listened. <laughs> we are so sa- so sorry that was so we scary. We should have put a disclaimer in the beginning of this saying, don't listen at night. We didn't know it was going to be this scary. No, I hadn't even heard that the listener story. That was the scariest part of this entire thing. Yeah. <sighs> well, um, 
We have social media, so. <laughs> Find us. Find us. Okay, bye. <laughs> um, uh, email us your, your ghost stories. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. We will see you see on the you other side. On the other side.